Well, Christmas is in the rearview mirror for another year. And um, I've been... I've been thinking about what I wanted to say today. Today's uh, the services are a little bit different um, on this last day of the year. Uh, different folks try different ways of approaching this day. I think for a lot of us, it's sort of uh, anticlimactic after the big build-up to Christmas and then, then uh, no more Christmas. Um, and it's going to really hit home in two weeks when all this is down. And then you're going to, then that's a long haul till next year, right? So, um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to, to talk about, I thought that, thought that maybe I would read a passage of scripture that comes from the very first time I publicly read Scripture. It was in Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Atlanta. It was on the occasion of a friend's wedding. And um, I was to read this passage, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And I got up to read and I was so terrified of all the people looking back at me as I was standing up there that I completely lost where I was supposed to be reading. And so I stood up there and said nothing. And the clock was ticking. And uh, and eventually I just said, no one knows what I'm supposed to be reading. I'm just going to read whatever my eye falls on. It was the right passage in the providence of God. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of God, the peace of Christ, rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and counsel one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father, to God the Father through him. And I'm going to skip down a couple of verses to... Verse 23 in that same passage, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. So um, this past week, I was looking through the greeting cards um, at Publix and I saw a greeting card I liked. It said this, 
you have begun another 365-day journey around the sun. Enjoy the ride. So I've been wrestling with what theme do I want to do I want to pull out uh, and um, you know there's all sorts of different ways you can go. I settled in with the theme that Paul commended to us, particularly in verse 17 of that passage that I read. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now there's a theme, another theme that we touch on, um, probably with some regularity, as it's something that stares us in the face uh, every day. Philosophers have waxed eloquent on it for millennia, and it's called the problem of pain. Bad things happening in a world overseen and directed by a good God. Simply stated in this syllogism, three premises. One, if God were omnipotent, he would be able to do that which he wanted. Number two, God's people are not always happy. Premise number three, therefore, either God is not good or God is not omnipotent or God is neither good nor omnipotent. And I think that there's nothing that does more violence to the peace or general happiness of us and people that are dear to us and to us giving thanks in all things as uh, we're commended to in, in uh, Colossians 3.15 than pain and suffering. And it's something that's in everybody's life. No one escapes it. And if you have escaped it up to this point in your life, what I would tell you today is strap in because it's coming. Everybody struggles. It just depends on whose turn it is, as my friend says, whose turn it is in the barrel. But as we think about that, I want to hasten to add that happiness is not the highest good to which God calls us. So then, if our purpose in life is not happiness, then what is the purpose to which God calls us and what we're called to in the year 2022? Now, we often come across people, people with extraordinary great talent and uh, fabulous gift set, skill sets that we wish that we had, but they drift through life without purpose or direction. And we think, well, that's really too bad because she had so much to offer. Or he was so talented, but he had no purpose. Fyodor Dostoevsky lived in Russia through most of the 19th century, and as a young man, he joined a group of utopian socialists, people who wanted to improve life through socialism. However, the, the czar kind of took a rather dim view of this and of Dostoevsky. And Dostoevsky was arrested and he was sentenced to death for his efforts. 
Later, that death sentence was commuted to life in the gulag. He left Siberia, the gulag in Siberia, a changed man when his, when his life sentence was commuted to time served. And while in the gulag, he embraced the faith that he learned at his mother's knee, from which he wandered. And upon his release, renewed by his faith, Dostoevsky wrote this. He says, the mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something for which to live. It's purpose. It's, it's uh, the, the Puritans of old called it the end or the purpose of our life. With it, we are centered, tethered, and productive. And without it, we're adrift on the sea of life. Sometimes we go real fast. Sometimes it goes slow. But without purpose, we never have a port. The Bible speaks to purpose. Uh, this passage of Scripture, which we're dealing today, that passage in Colossians 3 that I read, this is a statement of purpose, of direction, and of intent. And as we speak of purpose today, I want us to carry three points as they relate to purpose into the new year. Now, I have to tell you that uh, when we do that, whenever we do that hymn sing, I am sorely challenged to have you call out scripture passages and I'll preach a sermon on them as you do. I'm not going to do that today. But you never know what next year is going to hold. Three points to what we're going to talk about today. First of all, no God. That's K-N-O-W, no God. The second, knowing God. And the third point, making God known. First of all, know God. K-N-O-W, know God. William Lane Craig is a professor of philosophy at the Talbot School of Theology in California. At least he was. I'm not sure if he's still there. But that's where he spent a big portion of his professional career. And his book, Reasonable Faith... Christian Truth and Apologetics, uh, William Lane Craig said this, If there is no God, N-O, if there is no God, then man and the universe is doomed. Like prisoners, condemned to death, we await our unavoidable execution. If there is no God, then there is no immortality. And what is the consequence of this? It means life itself is absurd. It means the life we have is without ultimate significance, value, or purpose. And I think that Craig is right. I'm not sure he's waiting for my imprimatur on that, but I think he's right about that. And this morning, I'm not going to argue the existence of God. I assume it. And I believe that you do, too. Even if I don't know your belief system, I still know that down deep you believe in God. And the Bible says that, and I believe that it's true. Sadly, 
The devil believes in God, too. So to tip our hats to the existence of God does not necessarily put us ahead of the devil. What I want to address when I say to know God, K-N-O-W, God, is not to know about God. Now, this is a topic uh, that uh, Pastor Patrick and Rachel, I know, in some of her studies has addressed as well. It's not simply to know about God. It's how we can know God personally. Any discussion of life purpose must necessarily begin with a discussion of how we can know God. Now, I know Pastor Patrick and Rachel have talked about this. So here's the trifecta. The bad news is that left to ourselves, God would have a problem with every one of us. A holy God says in the Bible that everyone wearing skin has a problem with sin. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and I know sin is an ugly word. We get a little squirmy when we bring it up. So we euphemize it. We say, well, nobody's perfect. Or we call it self-loathing or malfeasance. Uh, we, we use any number of blunted descriptions that take the sharp edge of what it actually is. But at the end of the day, it is still sin. And we all engage in it by words, deeds, and attitudes. In fact, no less a one than Jesus Christ himself said, Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. To that standard, I would say we'd all have to say we're guilty. We fall short. And guilt comes to us from that. Maybe, maybe not a, 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 a guilt that we would even articulate as such, but there's something wrong, something inside of us, and we know it. We know that it's just not right. And that guilt we try to, we try to anesthetize with good deeds, with a, maybe charity work or, or working at a, at a local uh, ministry of some sort, a soup kitchen or something like that. Or, or maybe we'll use philanthropy. We'll throw some money at the problem, <clears throat> thinking that perhaps that would alleviate our guilt. Or, or maybe even we'll try a little bit of religion. We don't want too much of that. But, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe that's, that's what I'll do. And, uh, and so that's the path we pursue. But the Bible says... By good deeds shall no man be made right with God. So, if we are plagued with sin, is our condition helpless? And the, the very clear answer of the scriptures is no. The good news is that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. At just the right time, God pulled the trigger on the plan he had made from all eternity. And we just celebrated the inception of that plan, which was to remedy sin. Jesus, the second of the Trinity, became a part of his own creation, the Christmas story. And he was born in a most miraculous way. 
this morning on the way in, I was listening to uh, another pastor's sermon, and he was talking about Jesus Christ and how he came in humility. And that humility was expressed uh, in the fact that he was born in a hard, in a hard, hard way. Someone sent me a uh, an article out of the, of the Los Angeles Times, of all places, that was talking about how difficult the journey was for for Joseph and Mary, and how 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 awful the conditions were for his birth. We we somewhat uh, make it a, a bit of a, a glorified myth when we think of Jesus and the straw and then and the and the animals gathered around. But but the fact of the matter is that there were probably people snoring all around. Because if there was no room for them in the end, then there was no room for other people in the end. And so there would probably be people who were lying all around and, and Mary uh, would go into labor and be in pain. A, a teen, a young teen. And Jesus was born in that humble way. He humbled himself. He left his glory that he shared with the Father and was born in a miraculous, though extraordinarily humble way. And he went on to live a perfectly righteous life, always pleasing Almighty God. And for his trouble, he suffered and was murdered. But while on the cross, God the Father, knowing all about my sin, transferred my sin to Jesus' account. And then he punished Jesus in my place. Jesus took the rap for me. Someone says, wait a minute. I thought God was love. Why did anybody have to die? I think the suffering and the violent death of Jesus are to remind us of the serious nature of sin. Clearly, it's not a victimless crime. And yes, God is love, but he's also just and righteous. You know, we live in a world right now where we see judges and prosecutors are turning a blind eye to crime. And people who are otherwise be uh, subject to being locked up are being let go. And not one of us would say, that is justice. If sin were unremarkable and were left unpunished, then God would not be just, he would not be righteous, and he would not be God. So at the end of the day, God did all the work. But he doesn't forgive everyone indiscriminately, only those who respond to him in faith. And repentance. So the scriptures tell us to believe the bad news that we are affected by sin, that there's nothing that we ourselves can do about it. And then the Bible tells us to believe the good news that God gave his dear son uh, up to death and hell so that we might be free and immortality life with God forever is indeed possible. So, that's the beginning of understanding what your purpose in life is. It is the discovery of finding something for which to live. It is a cause greater than yourself. Okay, now, having established that purpose begins when we first know God, what else does the Scriptures teach? Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 4, the Lord has made everything for his own purposes. So our purposes are tied up in God's purposes. 
And when our purposes are untethered from God's purposes, life becomes a little less delicious. This last summer I had a TIA and uh, nothing serious in and of itself, but it portends something much more ominous down the road. And so someone came to me and said, well, what did that mean as a practical matter? And I said, well, as a practical matter, it means that my life has become more restricted and a lot less delicious. And that's true. Um, but but um, our purposes, when they become untethered, uh, life becomes less delicious. Uh, someone uh, was describing what it is in life to, uh, to to try meaning and to try to find meaning and purpose in life, and he and he used a metaphor that's always stuck with me. He says it's it's kind of like playing baseball with a toaster. I mean, you can do that, but it's really not very much fun because that's not the way baseball was intended to be played. It's not with a bat and a toaster. It's with a bat and a ball, and it's much more fun with a bat and a ball. In Romans 11, verse 36, the Bible says, Everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power, and everything is for his glory. Everything is for his glory. What is our uh, purpose in life? Everything is for his glory. It's not terribly different from our passage today. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the 17th century in Britain, uh, Oliver Cromwell uh, summoned over 100 pastors and theologians and asked them to write down what it was that the Bible taught. And they created a teaching tool of questions and answers. And do you know what the number one subject matter they addressed 500 years ago? What is the chief end or what is the chief purpose of man? They understood that purpose was foundational for life. Having a purpose lengthens and enriches life. And what was their answer to that? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God made everything for his glory. Living for God's glory is the greatest achievement that we could accomplish with our lives. And here's what the Bible says. Isaiah 43, 7. They are my people, my own people, and I created them to bring me glory. Why are we to be careful about our words? It's kind of, it's kind of funny because whenever I'm put in a, in a group of um, folks who are not church people um, and we're playing golf or we're having a meal or, or whatever it is that we're doing, they always say, well, we have to watch our language because Anderson's here. And um, but, but why why do we have to be careful about our words and why should we be careful about what we watch on TV or what we watch on our computers? And, and why should we be careful about how we spend our time and our money? 
It's because our tongues, our eyes, our ears, our minds, our calendars, our wallets belong to God and should be used for his glory. That's why we should be careful. When everything on earth brings glory to God, we then fulfill our purposes. John 17, verse 4, Jesus in the high priestly prayer, praying to the Father, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. Remember, what we're saying is that happiness is not God's highest purpose for us. What's God's highest purpose for us? To bring him glory. And the way we bring glory to him is to do the things that he has given us to do. Theologians put a name on this idea of becoming more and more consumed with doing the things he told us to do and so to bring him glory. And that word is sanctification. And it comes from a Latin word. See, there was a special place in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And then the temple where the high priest went once a year to meet with almighty God. And that only after painstaking preparations. In the Latin, it was called the Sanctum Sanctorum. The Holy of Holies. Sanctus means holy. And sanctification is the process of being made holy. It is God working in us and with us to make us more and more dead to this world and its lure and more and more alive to the things of God. The Puritans called it by its biblical name, mortification. I like what 2 Corinthians says about it. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. When the Apostle Paul prays for the Philippian church, he says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's not, I had a friend who used to say, God gave us the Holy Spirit to be holy. He didn't give us the happy spirit to be happy. But this is knowing God, a progressive growth in the things of God and displaying his glory all the more. This is one of the evidences that we truly belong to him. Number three, making him known. So this should be the consuming part of those who believe. God doesn't want his love, his substitutionary work on the cross and his purposes to remain a secret. Could you imagine what it would be if we found a cure for cancer? Do you think it would be left in the lab? No, it would go to market right away. And we have a cure for something far more destructive than cancer, and that's the destruction of the human soul. So, how do we make them known? Well, it may mean inviting a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker to church. It may mean contributing to uh, a Bible, having a Bible translated into the Urdu uh, dialect of the Arabic language. It may mean visiting a friend in the hospital. It may mean going on a mission trip. 
Uh, I can't tell you what exactly your part and place is in all that God is doing. And I can't tell you how God's working in your life to bring progressive sanctification, progressive holiness into your life. That's between you and God. But it, it could be something as spectacular as going to a mission field, but it also might be something as spectacular as driving a neighbor to a chemotherapy appointment. Or, or maybe caring for a loved one who's, whose condition is failing. Or it may mean bringing chicken soup to a friend who has the COVID virus. This is all part of finding your purpose in 2022 to declare his glory by getting outside of yourself and living for something bigger than you. So that is a brief examination of Colossians chapter three, verse 17. What is the takeaway? Well, I suggest three today. First of all, your big piece in developing your purpose for 2022 involves, first of all, that you know God. If you don't know God, if you're not sure that your destination is heaven, then it's my job to help you. And I want to do that. So I would ask that you'd come and find me. Go to Pastor Patrick. Go to Rachel and say, I don't know for certain that I'm going to heaven. God works in everybody in different ways and different timing. There are people here who, like Dostoevsky, came to faith at the knee of their mother. There are other people who have been through this church that didn't come to faith in Christ until they're 85 years old. And everywhere in between, it's, it's not a matter of when it happens. And it's no embarrassment, but it's important that it happens. Number two, God's big purposes for 2022 may not include 365 days of enjoying the journey. There may be a little pain involved in this next year for you. I suspect that it will. One of the great impediments to enjoying the journey is pain and suffering. And my guess is that each of us will have some pain in 2022. Having a purpose bigger than you, that is the glory of God, will help you through it. Since in life with a purpose, we also find pain with a purpose. Even in pain, we hear from God and realize that it's part of the process of sanctification. C.S. Lewis used to say that God... Uh, whispers in our prosperity and he shouts in our pain. Number three, make a piece of your 2022 purpose to bring glory to God. Look for a place to settle in. Find that bigger purpose than you are. Don't settle for losing a few pounds or or Mending a relationship, that's important. Those are important things, but try to find how your place is and all of God's purposes are. 
And fourth, I, I know I lied. I said there's only three. But there's actually 23. No, not really. Fourth and finally, my prayer for each of us is that as we find God's purposes for us in 2022, that we'll find much enjoyment in the journey, that 365-day journey around the sun. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a purpose, that you have given us uh, in Christ an opportunity to live for something larger than ourselves. Heavenly Father, we would pray that we might find that, that you would lead us in unmistakable ways so that we might find that purpose, so that we might participate in the great adventure of bringing glory to God. Heavenly Father, we pray that we wouldn't settle for the mundane. And for those who may not be sure of their destination, for those who may not be sure that heaven is where they're going to end, God, I pray for that person today, that you would encourage them, that you would help them open their heart and receive the great gift of eternal life. Hear us, O God, we make our prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, we have a, um, a song that was prepared for us to, to close with, but I just feel that since we have the hymn books in front of us, there might be a better choice for us to close this service and begin a new year. Page 72, we will glorify the King of Kings. Page 72, that means we'll be looking at the books, the screens will be black. We will glorify the King of Kings. Would you stand to your feet, please? Let's get together. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the receive God's benediction, for it is now unto Jesus who is able to keep us from falling. It is now unto Jesus who is able to present us before his glorious presence with great joy 
To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, honor, majesty, and dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Hey, we'll have Robert Knuth standing out front if you want to talk to him about the University of Michigan and the RUF there.